Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our second scripture reading this morning also comes from Acts chapter 2, this time verses 42 through 47. Hear now the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. I ask that you all will please bow your heads one more time with me this morning. Gracious God, I pray that you will bless this time, that you will open our ears and our hearts to hear your word, and that you will let your spirit move within each of us, that all of this, this entire time of worship, would be for nothing other than your glory. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So, last week, we started this conversation. You heard a message about... Pentecost, about what happened when the Spirit of God fell upon the apostles as they proclaimed the good news to the people and were heard by them in a way that was supernatural, that was beyond anything that they could have done on their own. And this week, we're going to continue looking at that same story. It's really just a continuation of Pentecost. Not even in the sense that this is another chapter, more like this is just the next page of the story. Because where last week we looked at what happened when the Spirit fell on the apostles, this week we're looking specifically at Peter's message, Peter's uh, first sermon to the people. And we're looking at how they responded to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. This is one of those really powerful Stories. There's so many of them throughout the Bible, but this one in particular has a certain potency for us in the church. When I first decided the summer before I started high school that I wanted to read through the entirety of the Bible in an intentional kind of way, I started with the Gospels because I thought it was so important to know what Jesus had done. And then I continued straight on into Acts because I wanted to see how the early church responded to those actions, to what Jesus had done through his life and death and resurrection. You know, this 
for us as Christians, we spend so much time thinking about Scripture and thinking about the church. And one of the questions that I had was, how much of this is the same as what was present in those early days? Is the spirit that moved within them still alive in us today? And so I went to the book of Acts. And this is what I found. This passage that resonated so deeply with me, not just as a young man, but as someone who deeply wanted to see what God could do in the world and in his life. So I am left, even now, with two thoughts in particular, having read this. I had these same two thoughts the first time I read it, and I had them again as I was reading this passage in preparation for this morning. And the first one was simply, I want this. I would love to see and be a part of a community that was built around the gospel message in this way, that believed so firmly in the good news of Jesus Christ that they shared in everything. And I don't just mean their stuff. I mean they shared every part of their lives together. Scripture tells us that they met together daily in the temple courts, that they broke bread together in their houses that they came together to pray for teaching and for fellowship. They came together to share in each other's burdens and each other's joys. They came together so that they could share their lives. And it was all because they heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Because they heard the gospel. And I want that. And so the second thought that I'm left with is really just a continuation of that first one. And it's, I want this to be real. How did it happen? What made this happen in those early days? And can it happen now as well? Is it possible for us to see the same kind of movement, the same kind of power in our lives and in our community that those early Christians, those very first Christians on the day of Pentecost saw. When we look back at that, it is nothing short of a true revival of the soul. We think of revivals as being times in history where the Christian spirit has started to wane and it's revived back to life, but that's not quite what it is. What real and true revival is, is the recognition that we are dead spiritually, and that we are being revived back into life. And that's what's at the heart of every great revival throughout history. But we tend to think about revivals as something that happened back then, something that we read about in history books or learn about in our high school history classes. We can look back at these early days of the apostles and see revival. We can look at the moments in the Reformations in Europe and see revival. We see Martin Luther recognizing the needs of the people and finding that the gospel was able to revive them. We see it with John Calvin in Switzerland and John Wesley in England. These were people who looked around and saw a deep hunger for God, a need for life, and were willing to go to the people and proclaim that the good news said 
that they could have that life. And that's where revival came up. We see it in American history, too, with the Great Awakenings. We see it with preachers like George Whitfield and even some who we still read in our history textbooks like Jonathan Edwards, people who drew thousands of people with this simple message. And revival happened. And we've seen it even in the past 50 or so years with people like Billy Graham and Luis Palau who drew thousands of people into arenas and stadiums to hear the message, either because they were hungry for the good news, because they were hungry for fulfillment, or because they were just curious about what was happening here. But they drew people, and they brought people to Christ. And when we think about revivals, we might even think about local revivals, smaller ordeals where someone put up a tent and someone started preaching, and people came for a whole week straight just to hear that and be reminded of the gospel message. And we think about these things. We have these pictures of what a revival looks like, and we think that those are things for the past. Because revival, as an idea, is outdated. Now it's all about programs. Now churches that reach people with the gospel are the ones that have the best events, are the ones that have the best structure. They have things going on all the time, and that's why people come, and then maybe they'll hear the gospel. It's all about programs now, and that's the message that we hear. But friends, this is not what I'm going to tell you today. What I have to tell you today is that programs have not and can never replace the Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit still moves in us, in our churches, and in our world. And that revival is possible. That revival is possible, but not only that, that it is possible here, among us, and within each of us as well. Because see, revival doesn't take a huge church It's not about the programs. It's not about what we can do. Revival at its core is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of proclaiming the news that strikes to the heart of the people and sees what they truly need and proclaims it. This is what Peter proclaimed. Scripture tells us that Peter's message cut to the heart of the people who heard, and that's why they came. That's why they listened And that's why they were brought into this community of faith. So what is that message? What's the message that gave Peter the ability to reach so many people? What's the message that was shared by the reformers and the people in the Great Awakening that was shared in arenas during those crusades? It was this simple message that we find in Scripture. It says, repent in the name of Jesus and you will be forgiven. Repent and be forgiven, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to keep looking at the idea of revival. We're going to keep looking at how revival is possible in your life, in our church, and in the community around us. Because the Spirit still moves. And revival is not 
an outdated concept, but something that can still happen and does still happen. So for today, there are three things that I want to tell you about revival. Three things that we see in this scripture and all throughout revival in history. The first one is that revival is indeed a matter of the heart. It's a heart thing. It's not about what we can do as a church. It's not about our programs. It's not about having the best worship or having the best pizza for the youth. It's not about having the best potlucks or gatherings or cookouts. No, it's about the spirit and it's about transformed hearts. But in the same way that Revival for community isn't about what we can do, but about what God does. Revival in your own life is not about what you can do. If you look back at Scripture, you notice it didn't say the people came and prayed together and broke bread together, and then they were pierced to the heart. No, Scripture tells us that the Spirit moved in the people, that the Spirit worked to transform hearts and change lives, and then they responded by coming together. We can't mix up the cause and effect because revival for you is not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has already done. It's about the work that God has already done so that you can be changed. And a transformed heart isn't just one that's been forgiven for sin, although that is a part of it an important part of it. But rather, a transformed heart is one that's saved to the uttermost, as Scripture says. That's saved not only from punishment for sin, but also from despair. This is what made the message so powerful for the apostles and for all of these great preachers and movements throughout history, was that they recognized that everybody in our world has an emptiness, a hunger for fulfillment and for peace and for joy. And only God can satisfy that. And they proclaimed the good news to them that they don't have to be slaves to their despair. They don't have to be slaves to their pursuit of happiness anymore. Instead, they can be freed from that and enjoy the fullness of life that Christ has made possible. As we've been saying for the past several weeks, the message of Christ, the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus came so that we might have life and have it in abundance. We no longer have to be slaves to despair because we can have life abundantly. So I ask you, what would be different in your life if we had revival now? What would be different if you felt the movement of the Spirit and were overcome completely by the joy of the gospel? Because that's what happened in the early church. When they heard the good news that their sin had been forgiven, that Christ had done the work and paid the price so that they could know full life, They celebrated. They celebrated together, and they wanted to bring that celebration to other people. What would it look like if you could join in that same celebration, if you heard that message 
and were revived in spirit into the joy that Christ makes possible. Well, the second thing that we have to know is that revival is available to everyone. That includes you. Scripture says, This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. It doesn't matter what you look like or what language you speak or where you come from. It doesn't even matter what you've done in your past because revival is available to everyone. Revival was available to the apostles on that day in Pentecost. It was available to all the people who heard them preach. It was available to Paul, previously Saul, who had spent his days killing Christians. Even he could be revived by the good news of the gospel. And so can each of us, and so can every single person around us, because this good news is good news for everyone, no exceptions. The apostles proclaimed it in the streets. John Wesley proclaimed it in fields, and when he couldn't find a sanctuary, once proclaimed the good news from on top of his father's grave so that he could be heard. It was proclaimed by Billy Graham in arenas. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter your venue or your location. You can proclaim this good news and you can hear this good news anywhere, at any time, no matter what you've done or where you come from. Revival starts, after all, with individuals. It's not dependent, like I said, on a location it's not even dependent on programs because it doesn't matter if we have the best programs. If we don't have the Spirit, then we have nothing. But if even one person carries the Spirit of God with them, if one person knows the help of the Holy Spirit and proclaims that message, then revival is possible. Revival can happen anywhere that there are believers. And finally, revival always, without exception, centers around the gospel. Like I said, we could have the best programs in the world, and if we weren't built around the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we would be empty. We would have nothing. But if we take ourselves and the knowledge of Christ that we have, the joy that we can have in the gospel, then you'd be amazed at how much of a movement can be started in that. The good news of the gospel, at the end of the day, the thing that's at the center of all revival, that's at the center of all Christian life, and indeed, that's at the center of every faithful church, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul says, the good news of Christ and him crucified. You can't have just half of the gospel. You can't just go to people and say, repent and be forgiven, because, or repent because you are a sinner. And likewise, you can't just go and say, you have been loved by God. You have to take them both together because that is the good news of Christ and him crucified. 
is that you need to be convinced of sin and amazed by grace. And if we can have those two things together, if we can celebrate in that good news, and we can proclaim that to the people that we meet, whether it's the checker at the grocery store, or the person fixing your car or changing your oil, or even just an old friend who you haven't seen in a while, if we can take this message with us, then friends, we can see revival begin. Thanks be to God. Amen.